Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Excited because today we've got the round ball review. Rex Chapman, Matt Walsh joining me on the podcast. Matt Walsh, star at Florida, played in the NBA. He just retired after a phenomenal career overseas. And Rex Chapman, legend at Kentucky, played in the NBA for over a decade Big star in the NBA, averaged just under 15 points a game. Fellas, I'm excited to have you on as we talk some hoops. Rex, I want to start with you. Kentucky came in, obviously, with some huge expectations, got knocked off by UCLA. What do you think of this young team so far? Well, uh, they've got terrific guards. I mean, Jamal Murray uh, is going to be a terrific player. Tyler Eulis. He's in the discussion for best best point guard in the country. Chris Dunn probably has a little bit to say about that. And then Isaiah Briscoe, another freshman, he's just a, a bulldog who can really score. Inside is where Kentucky's going to struggle this year. The big kid, uh, Scal Labissier, he, uh, he's probably not ready. Uh, it's going to take him some time. So they're, I think Kentucky's kind of searching in the middle in that that may be the toughest uh, obstacle they face this year is, is trying to find some consistent minutes in the post. Matt, what have you seen out of Kentucky this year? Well, I hate to say anything positive about Kentucky, even if the rest is not here with us. But, um, I mean, I think I'm, I'm letting Rex is being even maybe a little bit too hard on them. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be one of the last teams standing, uh, I think, if anything, I think possibly the UCLA loss could help them down the line. Uh, they're such a young team. And anytime you have that good of guard play in college, especially, I think uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna pay dividends for them down the line. You guys both left early for the NBA. We've seen you know the one and done model, which I think Cal has sort of navigated so perfectly. But Rex, can you take me through the inside of the Kentucky program? You you spent a lot of time. Uh, with those guys, I know just in terms of how difficult it is to get, regardless of how talented the Anthony Davises are, their Bledsoe's, John Walls, the list goes on and on and on. But regardless of how talented those guys are, just how difficult it is to try to m- meld them together. Well, I think, you know, I think John uh, Calipari is doing a terrific job. He and his, his assistants, John Robick, Kenny Payne, who I've known since we were teenagers. They do a terrific job communicating with the players. Cal's hard on them. He's very hard on them. Uh, and, you know, I think his, their biggest obstacle each year, they're building a brand-new team. You know, they had a lot of talent last year. And um, they've, got, they've got talent this year. It's just different, and they're not as deep as they were. But I think being able to coach the kids up hard, coach them hard, and continue to work for you, that's a delicate balance that, that – uh, John and most college coaches face you know, kids don't want to be uh, yelled at and uh, Cal yells at them and gets on them and that's the way it's supposed to be but uh, I think he's done a terrific job 
of doing what he's doing in this one and done era. I hate it. I hate the one and done stuff. Uh, so many kids leave that don't need to be leaving every year. And, uh, but John's doing uh, a, ter- a terrific job uh, given the landscape of college basketball now. Well, how would you change the one and dones? Well, I think, I do think a 20 year old uh, uh, age limit would be good. Um, or a couple of years, two, two years on campus. I think a lot of got a lot of kids would figure out during two years that either they're, they're not ready or they'll see so much progress to their degree that they may stay on for another year or two. I think it's watered down the game. The guys who come in to the league right now, for the most part, aren't ready. You look at the guys uh, in this year's draft and last year's draft and the guys taken at the top, they're either not playing or they're not playing very well. So uh, it's, it's tough. It's a man's game in the NBA and uh, not for the faint of heart. Matt, what do you think about the whole one and done? You know, I'm a little bit torn on it. Uh, on one side, I agree with Rex 100%. I mean, a water question, I think that it hurts not only the college product because the best players are leaving, but also the NBA product because the guys just aren't ready. Um, at the same time, part of me says, you know, how can you tell a guy like, you know, I know they only come along once in a long time, but LeBron or a guy who is clearly ready to play in the NBA, how do you tell that guy, that kid who, you know, may come from a situation where he's never had anything in his family needs the money. How do you tell that kid, you know, you can't go play in the NBA even though you're ready. But on the other side of that, those examples are few and far between. And most kids, aside from the fact that they need the basketball help and they're going to benefit greatly from playing in college for two or three years, but they need the emotional development, the social development. And, you know, in college is where you, you know, you become a man and you, you grow as a person and NBA in a lot of ways, especially when you're an 18 year old kid, it's not real life. And you don't have some of those real life experiences. I think it hurts not only the game, but you know, the people that are playing the game. Well, we hear that all the time. Rex, when, when you had come out, what kind of challenges did you face going from being a, a college player to being an NBA player? And I, I don't just mean on the court, just in general. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, when I came out, it was a long time ago, uh, uh, working on 30 years ago. That sounds crazy. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I think that the main thing, I was the youngest player in the league my rookie year. Kareem was the oldest player. And there there was an adjustment. On the court, uh, I felt fine. I felt terrific at times. Uh, uh, but socially... Uh, emotionally, uh, I wasn't uh, very mature, and um, it was tough. It was tough because uh, most of the guys on my team were married with kids, and you know I'm fresh coming out of the dorms. Um, <laughs> so it was a it was a an experience that you know obviously uh, it's going to help you grow, but it, it can be very difficult. You have so much downtime. You've got to figure out how to spend your time wisely, continue to work on your game, and and just navigate everything that the NBA uh, rigors of an NBA schedule are going to throw at you. When when Rex was uh, on the podcast before, Matt, he had told the story about when he was coming up and with the Charlotte Hornets, uh, Steph Curry was uh, someone he babysat. Yeah, I so. listened to it. I listened to both of his uh, the podcasts. <laughs> that was crazy. I can't believe that. One of his first babysitters. That's incredible. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, and I promise, Rex, this, this won't be a make you feel old uh, podcast. <laughs> don't uh, worry. We've gotten off to a bad start in that regard, I guess, but uh, no, I don't, no. don't want to do that. Matt, Matt, for you, how about same thing? When you when you joined the Heat uh, as as a rookie, tell me about that experience in terms of your emotionally uh, adjusting to the NBA. Honestly, the biggest emotional swing for me wasn't. Uh, it was more the fact that I went from being kind of like one of the guys at Florida, or the guy, you know, kind of like a star in Gainesville, and and I went to a situation where I was doing nothing but waving a towel and sitting on the bench, joking around. So for me, it was just kind of like I had never been in that position my whole life. I was used to being the guy. And I'm sure a lot of guys come into the NBA like that. And, you know, they're used to being the man. And for me, that was that was the hardest part. It wasn't – I mean, I, I was ready socially and uh, emotionally, I think, in, in other areas. But for me, the hardest part was I was – you know, I, I joke around, but I was playing with, you know, Shaq and Dwayne Wade and these guys, and I was like the most – depressed I've ever been in my life and I couldn't really make I couldn't wrap my mind around it I, I thought in my head I should be the happiest guy in the world but at the same time I, I really wasn't genuinely happy were you uh Matt were you uh there with the heat for training camp yeah I signed in, in the summer league and then I was there from August all the way through and I played some regular season games so I was there for a, a while how uh how awful was running those 17s during training camp? Oh my gosh, it was <laughs> the 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 heat preseason program. I mean, people don't understand. I was there, right. like I said, from like August 1st, and I was doing five days a week. You know, Sundays it would be conditioning, individuals playing, and lifting, like four. Right. <laughs> and this was in August, so I was in incredible shape. But that preseason program, the preseason conditioning test was, I mean. It, yeah. I was. I thought I had it hard at Florida, and then I went to the right. Heat, and I was like, "Man, this is the NBA." I thought it was supposed to be easy. Yeah, I spent a I spent a year in Miami, and that that was one of the hardest training camps ever. Man, yeah, <laughs> and I probably <laughs> Riley probably uh, got a little softer as he got older, so you probably had it a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, you may have. You may have mellowed <laughs> a little bit. Uh, was the heat training camp harder for both of you guys than uh, than elsewhere in the league? No question about it. I mean, you've, you've got to – I knew what was coming, so I'd been preparing during the summer. Uh, but you've got to run these 17s in uh, a minute or less, all right back to back to back to back to back. And uh, if you make it, great. If you don't, you run them the next day or until you do get them. And, you know, you're, you're sore. It's training camp. You're going through two a day. Uh, then they throw it, Matt, then they throw in easy run on you. Uh, yep. Where you've got to get your arms above your head arms and run for about three head, minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> One of the worst worst experiences ever. Yeah, I mean, I uh, obviously don't have as many <laughs> training camps experiences, but I uh, I went through the training camp with the Heat twice. I actually went back in 2009 and went through it and. Yeah, oh wow! I mean that that running uh, around with your arms above your head yeah. and the conditioning test. I mean, there's no there's no like exceptions. You either finish it under the time, or the next day you'll be there running before practice starts. So right. they don't mess and around. I do think, and, no, go ahead, Rick. No, I was saying I I don't think they uh, uh, they allow uh, any more with that. You, you, 
I think two a days kind of get screwed up in there, and they've cut back on some of the running now. But uh, it was a hard one. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I think now they they have limits. Like you can only have three two a days right. or something. Right, right, right. Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen it in the past with KG and with Kobe and LeBron, guys that came straight from high school and now obviously can't do that. But the guys that came straight from high school seemed to be on this other level. It was almost like they took on the challenge of the NBA. And now both of you guys haven't played in the league. I'm always curious, in terms of the individual development, the argument's gone, well, if you stay in college, you're going to become a better player. Whereas if you go to the league, you know, right out of high school, there's better coaching, there's better, you can get yourself a chef in the nutrition. Where do you see the differences in terms of development as a player, strictly as a player coming out of high school or one year out of college, as opposed to spending those four years in, in college? Rex, you can go first on this. Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, you talk about Kobe and KG and LeBron, you can go to Jermaine O'Neal and on down the line. None of those guys, KG, Kobe, the only one that was really ready at day one was LeBron. Uh, I played against KG. I played against Kobe. Those guys were terrible at the beginning of their careers. They just didn't know. They didn't know the NBA game. They were 17 and 18 years old, and it took them a while. Uh, now, you could tell they were going to be good if, it, if the losing and sitting on the bench didn't break their spirit spirit but uh you know i think that uh i'm a fan of guys playing in college you know uh if they if guys want to leave right out of high school let them leave and, and enter the nba but if they go to go to school they need to they need to be there for a while uh it, it shouldn't just be stopping by and putting in your time uh you know i think that yes the coaching is good but it's good at, at in the nba but it's good at in college as well as much as you say that, you know, well, you get better coaching, you get a nutritionist, spend so much time working on your game. On one hand, it's it's true, but on the other hand, I've never really seen anybody get better sitting over on the bench and not playing games. I just it just you you've got to have that game experience, and I think uh, for for most guys, for most guys coming from high school into college, uh, it, it benefits them to stay in school for a while. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Rex just said. And I think one thing that gets overlooked is, you know, they say, oh, there's better coaching and this. But, I mean, when you go to a, especially a top program in, in the country, and I can only speak about, you know, Florida with Coach Donovan, but, I mean, we had the best individual instruction that I've had at any level. And at mm. the same time, you know, they're on you all the time. It's not like, uh, you know, they say you can hire a chef, but you have training table and, they're on every move you're making. So it's not like you're going to college and being a regular student and you can do what you want. And another thing I think it's overlooked is it's totally organization to organization in the NBA. I mean, there's places where I agree. You put a, a kid in there, no matter how old, I mean, he's going to get better if, if they have, if it's the right organization and they're on top of them. And, you know, there's organizations that run things the right way, but I've been around teams in the NBA and, there's no secret why certain teams are the bottom of the league every year and, exactly. and their player development is bad. And, you know, there's there's teams where, you know, being an NBA coach is, or an assistant coach is the best job in the world because you don't really do a whole lot. And I've seen it. Um, not to say there's not great organizations in the NBA because there are, but just to, to broaden it and say, 
you know, you're going to go to the NBA and you're going to get better coaching. And stuff. That is not always the case in my experience. I agree with that. I, I think that, uh, and, and I'll, I'll go a step further and say there's only two or three, uh, maybe four franchises in the NBA that are just absolutely perfectly run. Um, talking Miami, the Spurs, and, you know, uh, we talked about Pat Riley with the, with the heat. I played for Pat. Uh, I know that organization and they're the best conditioned team in the league. There's no question about it. Their bench players are conditioned. Well, their starters are fully conditioned. And, you know, Matt, if you go to some of these other, other franchises where there's not that attention to detail and there's not that guy at the top who has the hammer like Pat has, like Greg Popovich has in San Antonio, guys will just flounder and they won't, they, you know, they're not in shape to play. Uh, they, you know, they've gotten off, uh, gotten away from probably everything that got them in the NBA, which had to be some hard work along the way. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, there are just a few teams that have those, uh, that elite, uh, structure of ownership and management being on the same page. And for the rest of the league, it's tough. And I think there are a lot of, uh, a lot of colleges and a lot of great college coaches out there that, uh, you know, do a terrific job with these young kids. Just to go back to something that Rex said earlier, I mean, even when you look at the all-time great players who came out of high school, like KG and Kobe and Jermaine O'Neal and all these guys, really, like Rex said, the only one who was truly ready for the NBA was LeBron James. So when you look at it in that perspective, really, there's no reason why everyone shouldn't go to college if, if there's only one outlier in that whole group because as a whole – players and as individuals and as basketball players are going to benefit a whole lot more than going to college and going straight to the NBA. In the 90s especially, you'd look at, at guys who came right out of college into the NBA in their first couple of years, they were actually scoring at a high clip, um, whether it was you know your Lionel Simmonses, your Willie Andersons, guys that were established college players could come into the league in year one, year two, and actually you know, score 18 a game and it wasn't a shock and they weren't considered one of the best players in the league or one of the best young players. They just had that experience and knew how to score, knew how to play. It's crazy looking at the numbers. And now guy puts up, you know, 18 a game for, you know, Jaleel Okafor is a great example. He's putting up, you know, just under 18 a game for Philly and everybody's going berserk over the fact that, you know, the kid's scoring that much. No one else, no other rookies are, are doing it. And then the other thing I want to add was I actually noticed what you guys are referring to few years back, I was selling game tapes of uh, high school players, uh, all the best high school players in the country to college teams and to NBA teams back when NBA teams were able to, uh, to draft high school kids. And the guys from the Spurs were contacting me left and right because they wanted as much information as possible. Uh, and I noticed the best teams in the league were reaching out, even kids that hadn't necessarily, they hadn't declared yet, they wanted as much information as possible. When they would hear rumbling about you know, oh, Gabe Pruitt might leave early, you know, and go from high school to the league. He ended up going to USC for a year. But guys like that, they wanted as much information as possible. So it's crazy that it, it trickles down throughout the, the rest of the organization. Matt, I wanted to ask you about Ben Simmons. How ready do you think he is for the league right now? Man, I'll tell you what, he looks pretty good. I mean, I um, I only knew, you know, what I heard about him coming into this year. And, um he looks like he's pretty special to me. I mean, uh, he does it all. And with his size and athleticism, 
uh, I I think more so than than most guys, he's going to be he's going to be ready. But at the same time, you know, he hasn't developed really any outside shooting, and there's things that, that he can work on as as good as he is. I don't know that if you put him on an NBA court tomorrow, and I haven't watched enough of him to say, but I don't know if you put him on an NBA court tomorrow if he's a great impact player yet. I, I would tend to agree with that. He, he's a special kind of player. He's got size and strength, and that, you know, we talked about the guys who are really ready. You know, you go back to Moses Malone. He, Moses was probably ready as well. So there, there are a few in our history. But uh, – uh, ben Simmons is. Well, I spent some time out here this summer with him at the Nike Skills Academy, and they had uh, you know 50 of the best high schoolers, and then they had 20 of the best returning collegiate players. And Ben Simmons dominated. He dominated. Yes, he can't shoot. Uh, he's got no confidence in his jumper. He's never had to shoot a jumper. He's gifted athletically size wise and his vision is terrific i mean he loves to pass the ball he's really sort of a i like kg somewhat he's sort of a second he prefers to be a facilitator and uh get other guys involved so he's going to have a long career it's just a matter of you know when his jump shooting catches up to the rest of his game but uh he he's, he's a very very nice player with a huge with huge potential for me, like Rex said, absolutely the thing that stands out most about Simmons is his passing, because the physical stuff is. I mean, he's he's a physically gifted guy and he's super talented, finishes with both hands. But the way he sees the floor for his size is something you very rarely see. Who would you guys compare him to? Oh wow, uh, you know I, I don't really know yet. I, I, he he's a terrific handler. Uh, a passer he does everything on the floor except right now put the ball in the hole for himself he helps makes other guys better you know I think of guys with his sort of skill set and size and you know you have to go back to for me guys like uh, uh, John Williams from LSU also years ago uh, 6'8 could handle pass so I you know I don't, I don't really know I can't think of one off the top of my head a uh, uh, a similar type of player, another similar type of player, but he, he's going to be really good, uh, you know, barring injury. And if he continues to work and improve, he'll he'll be terrific. Yeah, Adam, I mean, I think me and you were texting about this a few weeks ago, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to come up with a good comparison. And I don't know, it's it's like Rick said, it's the names me and you were throwing around because he he's so big and physical and he possesses that ability to pass the ball that is really rare so it's hard to it's hard to name someone that, that you think could end up he could end up being like what do you think guys uh lamar odom type of game um but he's a better stronger put more put together athlete than lamar uh but some of the same skills being able to pass and handle um uh, he gets the ball off the board and just goes with it and uh you know, for a guy that size, the way he moves like he does, he's built similarly to LeBron at the same age. But LeBron's body, he just has more juice uh, than Simmons does at this stage. And not to say Simmons doesn't have uh, plenty of juice himself, but he doesn't have that, you know, just crazy elite athleticism you see from a lot of guys in the league these days. Yeah, he doesn't have that crazy explosion that LeBron right. has. Yeah, the first the first name that came to mind was Lamar Odom, but like you said, he 
he's tighter than Lamar. You know, Lamar was kind of like right. loose with it. And yeah. the way Simmons finishes and the way he carries his body is just so different that it's hard to hard to right. compare the two. Good point. It's, it's It's been so rare that we've seen a big guy like that that just brings it up uh, in general and has a handle like he does. And like you said, the vision is crazy. I know, you know, Walt Williams was playing – point guard in, in Maryland for a stretch. And it was just weird to see a, a big guy play the point. Um, you know, I don't think anybody is saying the magic stuff uh, just because I, I don't see him as a point guard at the next level, even though um, he's got some of those types of skills. Royce White was playing, you know, a point forward for uh, mm-hmm. Iowa State, but obviously his body's nothing like Royce White's and and just a more dynamic player. than And, and the thing about Simmons is, he rebounds as well. It's not just like he's this oh, yeah. uh, skilled guy that wants to sit outside on the perimeter and, and pass the ball. He's He's got the ability to rebound it. Yeah, it's such a rare talent. It's so cool to see a guy that's, that's that kind of hybrid. We really we really haven't seen. Another guy that I'm curious about, back at Kentucky, you'd mentioned, Rex, I love Jamal Murray. I think he's one of the mm-hmm. most poised, complete players. We saw what he did this summer with Team Canada. What have you seen from him? What do you think of him? Uh, really like him, uh, uh, buddy. Steve Nash, a good friend. Steve was the uh, basically the GM for the Canadian national team this year, and uh, he he loves Jamal as well. Um, I, the more I watch him, the more I like him. But the more I also, you know, like we do with all young guys, kind of critique them, break them apart, break their games apart a little bit. Jamal has a terrific feel for the game. He's got to be a better shooter, which will happen. You know, uh, he shoots it. He shoots it well, but not well enough yet. Uh, from the perimeter, he's got to finish. Learn to finish going right. He wants to finish going left every time, and he's still getting better when you put him on the ball at penetrating and finding shooters, finding other guys. Right now, when he attacks, he's attacking the score. But he's very gifted. He's a He's a really neat kid, uh, very conscientious, plays the game, I think, with a lot of character, doesn't take plays off. Uh, he allows Cal to coach him, which is huge. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, too, here's a kid. He's supposed to be a high school senior this year. He reclassified mm-hmm. and is playing, you know, I, he's probably Kentucky's leading scorer, I, I would think, and still hasn't played really to his capabilities. Um, he's going to be a a lottery pick whenever he comes out, maybe a high one. Matt, anyone else you've seen this year that you absolutely love watching on the college level? Oh, his name's escaping me. What's the guy from Michigan State? I have it on the tip of my tongue. Oh, yeah. Val- Valentine. Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard to ignore the numbers he's putting up. I've watched him a few times. I, you know, I'm a, I like guys that do everything. And, you know, some of the, the way he, at times he just takes over and carries – the team to to the to the win and how he he seems to do whatever they need at the time that they need it and uh, I enjoy watching him play and I pretty much enjoy watching any coach Izzo team so uh, <laughs> yeah he's he's fun to watch and I like I like Izzo I like he gets on the guys but they play hard for him yeah. and everyone uh, everyone who goes through there seems to love him so I don't know him personally but he seems like a coach that. At the at the end of the careers and going back, guys really like really love him. That's nice to see him here. That's great. That is very true. Guys, I want to talk about some of the teams right now in the NBA because there's a couple 
storylines that just can't be ignored at that at that level. First, Matt, as a fellow uh, southeastern PA native, Philly suburbs guy, I want to talk to Sixers and just what you think of Sam Hinkie's plan, the fact that Colangelo is there now. Your thoughts as as a fan, I guess. Um, I'm kind of a little all over the place here at the Sixers. One, I think they're legitimately, I think they're the worst NBA team that's ever set foot in the court. And that's <laughs> over the last few years, you could probably say that they've had like the, at times, the three or four worst teams that have ever been assembled on an NBA court. Um, in terms of Hinky, you know, under, I, I don't like it because I think it's bad for the product of the NBA, but under the current rules, I think that overall what he's doing is giving the Sixers a better chance for success in the future in terms of acquiring talent than what they were doing for years before that in which they were just finishing in the 8, 9, 10 range in the East and they were kind of in a cycle of idiocracy. Like I said, I don't like it. I don't think I think something has to be done to avoid the, this, this level of thinking. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I can't, I can't fault him. I, I think it's really interesting that they brought in Colangelo. I'm interested to see what direction it's going to go if they're going to, you know, abandon this. I, I think they. It looks to me like, especially here and hearing this the talk radio and whatever, I'm saying that, you know, this is a, people seem to think it's a step in the right direction of getting back to, you know, trying to actually win some games. By one strong concern with what they're doing is it just creates such a bad culture of losing with the guys they have. And I think that that is underestimated and underrated. And you have these, you know, Noel and uh, Oakville, you have these guys who they want to be good players down the line. When you subject guys to just constant losing and a losing atmosphere and a losing attitude, I think that's a hard cycle to break. And I don't think that's the direction that if I was running an NBA franchise that I would want to go down. Beautifully said, uh, Matt. Um, I grew up a Sixers fan somehow in Kentucky. Uh, Doc and <laughs> Moses Malone and uh, Andrew Tony and all those guys. Uh, so it, it, it hurts to watch them go through what they're going through. And, and to piggyback on uh, Matt for a second, these guys, when you play on a team, and I played on a team coming out, that was terrible. Terrible. We won 19 games the first year. And what you end up having, you've got – you have no veteran leadership, so nobody on the team can tell anybody else how to play. Um, and when you're losing like this, the young guys, they genuinely don't root for one another to succeed. They may act like they're rooting for them, but they sit over there, and when you're losing, you know, everybody, the guys on the bench thinks, thinks the coach is crazy and dumb for not playing them, and it creates such a bad culture that it's risky going this route uh, for Hinky because these these guys who can play some, Nerlens Noel is going to play for 10 years. I don't know how great he's going to be, but Okafor for 10-plus, uh, Embiid if he ever gets healthy, 10-plus years. Uh, I know that if I'm one of those guys under the current CBA and we've been losing for two or three years and my deal is up, I want to leave. I want to leave. <laughs> I don't want any part of it. And, you know, you've just – and then, then there's that risk, too, of – I go back to a guy I played with, Rodney Rogers, and was just a, he is a terrific guy, was a terrific player. Uh, Rodney spent his early years with the Clippers, uh, five, six years. And then he came to us in Phoenix. 
and such a talented guy, such a talented guy. There's another guy you could kind of throw the Ben Simmons mm-hmm. thing at a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah, when he's awake, yeah. But, but Rodney just never – he had such bad habits by the time he, he came to us that it was really tough for him. He eventually, uh, after a year or two, he kind of got it out of the system, won our sixth man of the year. Um, but it can take a toll on you, all the losing. And the the, the fans, they're, they're unhappy. You're reading and hearing about how bad you are every day and night on TV. And uh, it just creates a, a crazy culture. I don't think for a second that Jerry Colangelo, uh, I think he's been forced upon them by the league. I don't think that their ownership, despite what they say, I don't think that their ownership is thrilled with it. But it tells you just how bad the league right now uh, feels the state of the Sixers uh, are in. I'm a big believer that those organizations, those same organizations, the Spurs and the Heat, they are that way because they're constantly having having their culture and the positive habits and work ethic hammered into them by the people above. Right. And if you are in a situation where you have the exact opposite, this culture of losing and this culture of negativity with players around you, you develop not only bad habits on the court, but you just develop bad attitude habits. And it's not something that for most guys, at least that you can just turn off and on and, I was mm-hmm. thinking of it when you were talking about Rodgers, just those guys aren't going to be able to just go to another team and then immediately, okay, right. they're on this team. You know, it, it's easier when you have guys around you that that have the right culture and have the right attitude. And it's it's going to be hard for those guys, no matter where they go next, especially if they stay there, to turn into the kind of guys that, you know, contribute on championship teams. Great point. Rex, you were an executive in the league. Was there ever talk when you were with the the Nuggets, maybe we lose some games and put ourselves in in a position to get a really good player. No, uh, you know I don't think that there's ever a, a time. Well, I I guess uh, it depends how you look at it. You know, you go into every year with higher expectations than you probably should for most of the league. And there comes a point though, whether it's due to injury or whether your team's just not any good that you start looking at the standings and you go, well, you know, <laughs> we're not uh, in any kind of position here to, to really make any noise. I think that what ends up happening is guys who are, who are hurt or a little banged up on bad teams, teams will rest them some. They'll rest them. And uh, uh, so <laughs> at some point, you definitely are playing, uh, playing your games, hoping not to get any of your key players injured but also with the look to the postseason and how you're, you're, it's human nature. You know, everybody right now is, is looking at the Lakers because I believe they've got to give their pick away if it's in the bottom three. And, uh, you know, these are things, obviously, the higher-ups with the organizations have to figure out. And, uh, you know, if you're going to – if, if uh, you know, a guy like last year, Carmelo goes out for New York, um, they've got no incentive. He's got no incentive to – play the season out and risk injury when you're going nowhere. You're not going to make the playoffs. Let some other kids, let some other young kids feel their way around for a while and then see what you've got there. But you have, I think the responsibly without tanking or anything like that, I think you've got to keep an eye on, you know, on the future, at least a little bit. 
When we talk about the top teams in the league, the opposite of, of all of that, obviously we saw the Warriors streak come to an end against the Bucks after playing a doubleheader the day after they went past regulation against the Celtics in Boston. The question I have for both of you guys is, now that the Warriors have lost a game, do you see them losing a few more, or do you see them picking right back up where they were as they were engaging in this streak? Matt, you can, you can start off with this one. I mean, my first inclination with a typical team would be like, yeah, you know, maybe they lose two out of three or they lose three out of five or something. But watching this Warriors team, man, they are so good and they want to win. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, their leadership. And Draymond Green is a warrior. And, I mean, if if I was a betting man, I would say that they're going to pick up right back off now, right where they left off. Now, I don't think they're going to run off another streak like that. But I could easily see them winning, you know, nine of ten or something like that. And I don't, I don't know what their schedule looks like coming up. There, there are some obviously some other tough teams. But if they won, if they won nine of ten or ten in a row, I would not be shocked at all. Yeah, they're these guys. I saw, I saw them uh, practice and play last week, and I made the comment to uh, Stefan's dad, to Dell, that I think these guys might be having more fun than any team ever. <laughs> they were in the midst of a 20-game win streak. They all get along. Uh, they all genuinely root for one another. They're all very good guys. And they've got something very awfully unique going on. That being said, they've been really bad for the last three or four games. Really bad. Steph's throwing the ball all over the place. They're without Harrison. They were without Clay for a couple of those games. And... You could really see a difference. Now, I've watched Andrew Bogut play his whole career, best as Azili. Those guys are going to get hurt at some point during this year, for a little while anyway, whether it's an ankle or a shoulder or something. Those guys are going to get hurt, and injuries are going to happen. I, re- I Look, I'm pulling for them to set the all-time record. I don't believe they will at the end of the day. Uh, whether they get into the, all of a sudden they've clinched the top seed you know, with 20 games left, they're going to rest guys and they'll get beat games down the stretch unless they fall apart and they have to play those games to win them. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it, it, they may just be head and shoulders above everybody else uh, to where they walk to the all time wins uh, mark. But personally, I got to see it to believe it uh, yet. Cause uh, that 72 and 10 bulls team was no joke. Yeah, that's for sure. Which you beat, Rex. I mean, we're going to also point <laughs> oh, that yeah. out. Yeah, right. <laughs> In dramatic fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question. We talk about, you know, that, that winning culture, and you were just referring to Rex as the idea that, you know, everybody's rooting for each other on the I've never seen a team like that before. Starters come out, they're all rooting for the reserves. The, the, right. the bench guys, when they're on the bench, they're rooting for the starters. I mean, it looks like a college team, how excited they're getting about each other. One guy who right. – who, is in a situation which doesn't seem to be fitting that right now is Dwight Howard. And the question that I have for both of you is, can you win if Dwight Howard is your best player? Um, short answer, no. <laughs> uh, a little more, uh, with a few more words behind it, I couldn't, I, I couldn't and wouldn't have Dwight Howard as my starting center. I just wouldn't. Um, he was really good early on. He's gotten so big now that he doesn't run anymore. Uh, and my biggest problem with Dwight is <laughs> I don't think Dwight likes to play. Um, I think he plays because he's big and athletic. 
but I don't know that he's ever really loved the game. I don't think he's ever really worked on his game, uh, which tells you just how frighteningly good he could have been. But I think that's in the past. Uh, Dwight drives me crazy watching him. He rotates sometimes defensively, doesn't other times. And to be fair, James is the same way. And having those two guys on the same squad, they're going to be pretenders. I just have no faith in, in the Rockets whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I literally, if that was, if I would have went first, you would have heard pretty much the exact same thing. I <laughs> would not want Dwight Howard on my team under any circumstance. I, I think in terms of basketball, he's a loser. I don't think he's ever going to win anything important. Um, yeah, I don't. I, as a basketball player and the way he carries himself on the court, and uh, like like you said, he rotates sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. He looks at other teammates. He blames stuff on other right. teammates. He does not have many redeeming uh, character positive traits for for me in terms of what he does on the court. Yeah, if I was, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him under any circumstance. Rex, you talked about how how talented he is. Just just you know, natural talents. Wild. I saw him mm-hmm. a bunch in high school, and he would bring up the mm-hmm. he'd bring the ball up the floor sometimes for. Southwest Christian Academy for uh, in Atlanta. It was unbelievable. Well, he played with Javaris Curtin, who was their point guard. But it was just wild seeing him in high school and how skilled he was and big and strong and talented and athletic. And you thought this guy could take right. over the world. And then it's just been shocking. I mean, his scoring average has gone down each of the last few years. Um, he's mm-hmm. now, I mean, nobody trusts him. It's just, it, it's the weirdest situation to watch Dwight Howard with as much talent as he has, averaging like 13 a game this year. I'm just, fascinated by the whole Dwight Howard thing. So, so to someone you're close with, then Rex, DeMarcus Cousins, a lot of the mm-hmm. same knocks that you brought on Dwight Howard, people have had on, on Cousins, yet we've also seen mm-hmm. his upside is crazy, and you've seen just how passionate he is about the game. And, and I hear mixed reviews from people. Certainly mm-hmm. Sacramento's a mess in its own right. Uh, they have mm-hmm. issues, and that whole organization seems to be just shockingly in, in, in pain right now. But but for you, what do you think of uh, DeMarcus Cousins? You know, uh, I, I like Big Boogie. Uh, he would be tough as a teammate. Um, he would be tough to coach. Uh, the one thing that I, I, I do love about DeMarcus that uh, bothers me with regard to Dwight is that uh, uh, Boogie really likes to play. I mean, he goes out there and he likes to play. He he tries to give you an honest effort every night. Now, I think he plays too many minutes, so there are times he's just out there out of shape. And his biggest issue from here forward is going to always be, is he going to be dedicated enough to be in shape? Because he can gain gain weight awfully fast. Uh, he's a bit of... He's a bit of a lightning rod. I said to someone before, because I was with George for five years in, in Denver, George has his hands full because coaching uh, two of my fellow Kentucky guys, well, three of them really, including <laughs> Pauly Stein, but yeah. Rondo, coaching Rondo and uh, DeMarcus, that's, that's about, that's uh, co- kind of like <laughs> coaching Peyton and Kemp on steroids. So, yeah. you know, he George has his work cut out for him. I think that people are going to give Boogie a, a, a chance uh, a little bit more of a legitimate look uh, than they would at this point with Dwight. I think that uh, DeMarcus, if, if he matures, 
he still has a chance to be a, a winning type of player. Right now, I'm not sure that he is, but uh, I'm I'm hopeful that he'll become that. Yeah, just to jump in and say something, I think the biggest thing for me, and I obviously don't know Boogie the way you do at all, but he looks like he has a strong competitive spirit. Like he wants to yeah. win. When he's out there, he cares. And when you watch Dwight, it's like you said, it looks like, yeah, he's this physical specimen, but he mm-hmm. doesn't care what's going on out there most of the time. Right, right. And with Boogie, you know, he may do some knuckleheaded things and and get frustrated and stuff, but at the core of it, it looks like he really wants to win. And if you really want to win like that and you're a competitor and you figure some other things out, you can become a, uh, a real winning player. Right. Well, guys, this has been awesome. I uh, want to thank you both, and I hope that we can uh, have this conversation again real soon. Absolutely. So much so much fun. Hey, Matt, I have a quick question. Where the hell is, is, uh, where the hell is Chris Walker? Chris Walker. <laughs> I, 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 don't know, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I, I wish I did. Tell me this. Tell me what did he just not have any sort of game? I mean, people are talking about if he came out of high school, he'd have been a top seven, eight pick. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy. I really don't know. I I heard all yeah. the same things as you that he was supposed to be this amazing talent, and I don't know what the hell he's doing. Um, wow. But yeah, I mean, it's not even like a bust. It's just like a what the yeah. hell happened? Just like where'd <laughs> I mean, he go? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I don't know. Um. I'm gonna I'm gonna find out for you by the time we do the next podcast. Sounds good. Sounds good, man. I enjoyed it, guys. That's that's perfect. I, I had a blast. And yeah, yeah. And guys, uh, we were very Kentucky heavy this conversation. So I promise you, man. Next time we'll balance it out and talk more Florida. So thank you both uh, you for, might for try. jumping on. You might try. I don't know if I'll let you steer the bus towards Florida though. <laughs> well, if it goes down and left, I let it slide today. <laughs> we can talk OKC next time. There we go. So there you have it. Rex Chapman. You can get him on Twitter at Rex Chapman. Matt Walsh is on Twitter at MattyVincent44. And I, Adam Stanko, am on Twitter at Naismith Lives. Really appreciate you listening to the Great Point Podcast. This was the Round Ball Review.